Thin Air is an independently produced podcast created by Daniel Calderon and Jordan Sims. For more information about us, check out our website at thinairpodcast.com. There you'll find detailed blogs on the cases we cover, our contact information, social media, donation pages, and much, much more. Again, that is thinairpodcast.com. This episode of Thin Air is brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash thinair. You will love getting fresh ingredients delivered right to your door. Redeem your three free meal offer today by going to blueapron.com slash thinair. Two weeks ago on Thin Air Podcast, Jeannie Kramer told the story of her 26-year-old daughter Asha's 2015 disappearance from a cafe in Point Arena, California. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening. Today's story will make so much more sense. When Asha Kramer walked out of the Rollerville Cafe on September 21st, 2015, she left everything behind and left the two people closest to her trying to piece together the puzzle of her disappearance. The first person is Jeannie, Asha's mother, who lives in Australia. She arrived in California just days after Asha went missing. She was confused, heartbroken, and wondering how this could have happened to her daughter. The second, Jemai Gale, Asha's boyfriend, was there at the cafe that day and had cared for Asha during her intense period of mental illness, which led to her disappearance. Jeannie is and was suspicious of the life Asha left behind, especially of Jemai. Because Jeannie doesn't trust Jemai, she entertains a lot of possibilities about what could have happened. His accounts that day, to hear Jeannie tell it, are full of inconsistencies, and she theorizes that Asha could have been fleeing a situation that she felt was dangerous to her, and that Jemai was a part of that. These suspicions, that Jemai was more involved in her disappearance than he let on, or that he wasn't telling the whole truth, hang over the story of Asha's disappearance, creating greater uncertainty. I knew that I would have to at least try and speak to Jemai in order to hear his side of the story and to better get at the truth of what really happened that day. And today we have that story, our discussion with Jemai Gale and our conclusion to the Asha Kramer story. Jemai Gale met Asha Kramer at a party in San Francisco. The two hit it off right away. How did you two meet? We met on my birthday a number of years ago. I was we were together for a little over five years, and um, yeah, we just we met on my birthday, and we were together ever since. Three and a half years later, the two would move north to Albion, California, which isn't so much of a town, but a quote census-designated place, whatever that means, of about 168 people. The area known as Albion is on the coast, and every photo of it looks like a postcard. It's green, lush, right on the ocean. And Jemai and Asha seem to have found a great place there. It was beautiful. It was a little slice of heaven. It was six acres, hundreds of redwood trees of all sizes. There was two houses on the property. It was gorgeous. What was your relationship like? Did you think that you guys would be together for a long time? I thought we'd be together for a long time, yeah. We were, we were together over five and a half years. We were talking about marriage. We talked, we, we always planned our life. We always planned our lives together. Um, what were our next steps? What were we going right. to do? We, will we get married? And what would that look like for our families? And I was really happy. I was really, really happy. Um, we had a little family as it was with our right. two dogs and our cats. And we had chickens and Things were great. It was beautiful. It was a really beautiful time in my life. And, uh, you know, even before we moved up to Mendocino, I mean, Asha was, she was so wonderful, you know, and when I wasn't doing that great, she she stood by me. And, and when I was doing good, she stood by me. And Things largely continue this way until the beginning of September 2015. That's when Asha goes to Los Angeles to visit her sister. It was her sister's birthday. She had been planning to go visit her sister. So she went to L.A. to be with her sister on her birthday. They're pretty close, right? I'd say yes. 
I'd say they're very close. I'd say Asha wanted to kind of be her own person, you know, as far as, as far as having her sister as a huge influence in her life. You know, I think she wanted to start to gain her own influence for herself as far as how she was, but they were definitely very close. According to Jemai, Asha returns home from visiting her sister and isn't quite herself. She, she had went to L.A. at the beginning of the month, and when she got back, she just wasn't the same. She, she, and it, was, uh, it went from depression to, to other mental, mm-hmm. mental health issues that I think are deeper. I'm, I'm no doctor, but it right. just got worse and worse, you know, and the signs and symptoms of, of mental stability were, were kind of waning. It seemed to me like when she went to L.A., something happened. Something mm-hmm. happened because something, she changed. At first, it was really, really good. First, she was really like, you know, like being really open and mm-hmm. talking about all the different things that, that had plagued us in our, issue, in our relationship and, and was like wanting to, wanting to be more involved with my family and was like, I really wanted to... Re- renew my relationship with your mother and your stepfather and all this and it just things were really good things yeah. were awesome it was like I, I was really happy and um, and from there they just started going downhill she started doubting herself she, she started feeling bad about herself she's 26 years old it seemed like she was just growing up and changing and maturing and it just seemed awesome to me it seemed mm-hmm. great you know and it went from being like that to depression. You know, Ash and I, we talked a lot. We had really deep conversations for like three days straight. We just had a lot of really, because she was so down, so depressed. And, and I remember it was just the sum of it all was, it, bo- it all boiled down to like self-love. And she was like, I don't know how to love myself. And that's another thing she kept saying before she left, she would come up and be like, I don't know how to love myself. I don't know how to love myself. And I would tell her, I would remind her of all the the things that she does for herself that clearly show that she loves herself. I said, look, if you do this for yourself, you do that. These are all acts of love and kindness, you know, that that you're being kind to yourself. While Asha seemed depressed, at this point, Jemaya didn't think anything was seriously wrong. Soon after her return from L.A., Jemai and Asha began to prepare for the arrival of Sally, Asha's childhood friend from Australia. I'd never met Sally before, but from very early on in Asha and I's relationship, I mean, I knew who Sally was, and she was always uh, referred to as the sister. And later on, she explained to me a lot more about the dynamic of her in Sally's relationship, she was apprehensive about having Sally around when she did show up. Um, Asha was, Asha wasn't really being herself. She, she was very depressed at the time when Sally had already showed up. And I I don't know, it, it didn't seem like, it didn't seem like they had, uh, hit it off real well. It didn't, I didn't feel that connection between them. Mm Mm-hmm. It seemed not, it it didn't seem strange, but I think the main thing I think is that Asha was just what she wasn't feeling well. Mm -hmm. And so things weren't going as normally as they normally would anyhow. Asha's depression, coupled with the seemingly awkward interactions between these old friends, led to things getting uneasy and tense at the house. I think they were trying to have like a good time together, but Asha was depressed and Sally wasn't being very responsive to that. She kind of got like a uh, reserved instead of like supportive. I thought, you know, I would think that, okay, if this is like somebody who's like a sister to you, then maybe, and they're not feeling well, obviously you'd be more supportive and kind of be there for them. But instead she, she, got very reserved and ended up just going up into the room that we had for her and uh, staying in the room and not coming out for a good Mm -hmm. part of the time she was there. So it was really strained. And, you know, and Ash would come and talk to me and, and say, 
you know, that she didn't, she wasn't getting, she wasn't able to relate with Sally. And it was, it was, it was very difficult. It felt like with Sally being there, it felt like her, her sanctuary, her, her safe place wasn't safe anymore. It, I mean, that's the feeling I got. It's like a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. It was a perfect storm. It right. was just really something else. One thing that I really wanted to know about was the conversation which Jeannie mentioned between Sally and Asha, where Asha discusses her father's death, which begins her mental health crisis. Jemai claims that Asha did mention her father's death, but also remembered a traumatic event from her childhood. Sally and her were looking at old photographs and she came down, was in the jacuzzi, and she came down and said to me that she... Uh, was triggered. Uh, she said that she was looking at old photos and Sally pointed to a picture of a house and said, do you remember that? And Asha said that she had been molested and that she had made herself forget. She said, I forced myself to forget. I forced myself to forget. I can't believe this whole time I made myself forget. And then she said, I haven't gotten over my father's death. And then she just kept repeating. That was like the main thing she would say. And it would be all hours of the night while we were like trying to sleep. She would say, I haven't gotten over my father's death. Like shout it out, scream it. This claim that Asha remembered being molested as a child was not mentioned by Jeannie. When I asked her later about these claims, she said that she had no previous knowledge of them and doesn't trust Jemai to tell the truth in this situation. Basically, until she hears it from Asha, this didn't happen. Whatever Asha said, both Jeannie and Jemai agree that this conversation brought up memories that were extremely hurtful to Asha, and this is where her mental health crisis truly begins. As a side note, I could not find this friend Sally to comment on this story. You know, it just got to the point where we're trying to get her to eat. I was buying her chocolate and favorite foods. We took her to her favorite restaurant. Mm-hmm. She wasn't talking. The moment when she when she said she had been molested, I asked her, do you, you know, do you want to talk to me? Do you want to seek help? So we called therapists in the area. I asked mm-hmm. her if she wanted to call a women's group. We called women's group. It was Friday in the afternoon, I believe. And so everything was closed. And it's a very rural, rural mm-hmm. area. So there's not much, by the way, of services anyhow. Right. And we, and we also called... I called the, the, the crisis hotline because she, she said she wanted to hurt herself. So I called the crisis hotline and they had said that the clinics were all closed until Monday. If anything gets worse, to go to the emergency room. We, you know, we had been asking her the whole time, do you want to go to the hospital? Do you want to go to the hospital? And uh, she wouldn't answer. She just wouldn't speak really it was a very difficult situation to 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 try to manage there if this was a friday it would be september 18th 2015 asha stops eating she stops sleeping and together the three try and figure out what to do next when do you decide like okay we have to go to the hospital we were out eating lunch she didn't touch her lunch at her favorite place and so she wanted to call her mom And uh, when we left the lunch place, we said, okay, why don't we just wait till we get home to call her mom because she has to call her on Skype. And we got to the house and I gave her my phone. We sat down on the couch. I gave her my phone and she dialed 911 and handed the phone to me. And I said, do you want to go to the hospital? And she shook her head, yes. Okay. And I said, okay, yeah. And, And then I talked to the dispatch and told them that we were on our way to the emergency room. We get to the emergency room. She walks into a random office, and a nurse puts her in a wheelchair and wheels her to the to the uh, emergency room. We get there. She slams her feet on the ground and doesn't want to go into the emergency room. She stands up, almost falls over. The nurse and I both kind of help her up, stand straight and walk her into the, nurse, the emergency room. And 
soon as we get back there, everybody's looking at us, and I'm saying, I tell her, uh, we have a, she's having a, 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 a health, mental health emergency. Mm-hmm. And then she freezes up, straightens her arms and legs, like, and looks like she just saw a ghost and took a few steps back and fell, and fell backwards. And one of the staff put a chair behind her. And then she gets up and bolts out of the emergency room. Um, I asked the emergency staff, what do I do? They say, follow her from a safe distance. Don't go up to her. Call the police. So I called the police and I followed her to the main street, which is a few off of few, few blocks away from the hospital. And she's, she goes into the street and tries to get into a car of a family and they lock, they don't let her in. And she walks up to another, another guy saw her really creepy looking guy and pulls over to go pick her up. And she goes, and I'm standing there. I'm wondering if she's really going to get in this guy's car. And she pulls the door handle to get in. But he saw, he looked and saw me and drove off. The police showed up, asked her, asked me what was going on. And went and asked her a number of questions, brought her back to the emergency room. It took two officers and a number of hospital staff. They, she was fighting them. They strapped her to the bed. Um, it was horrible. It yeah. was absolutely terrifying. I was in the hallway crying and they told me to leave to the, to the, to the, uh, waiting room because, you know, I was a hysterical, I guess right. I was in the way, but they, the hospital staff just thought she was on drugs. And they weren't, they weren't, I don't, to my opinion, I, I just, it was subpar. So we were in there waiting for the mental health professional to show up. He shows up after some time, walks in the room, and all of a sudden, Asha starts saying my neighbor's name and his girlfriend at the time, Eddie, 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 Eddie. And she said, Eddie killed Joy. Eddie killed Joy. And Joy is, was his girlfriend. And she just kept repeating, Eddie killed Joy. Eddie killed Joy. Joy's dead. And then she starts saying, I killed Joy. I killed Joy. And she just was like randomly repeating that the whole time we're in the hospital. The mental health staff is right there. Yeah. And he goes, we're not, we're not talking about Eddie or Joy. We don't care about what they did and all this. And she didn't want to sign the papers. Eventually, she was like, he, he was like, almost it felt like co- coercing her to sign the papers to get released. Um, she took the papers and scribbled all over it and didn't sign it. And then she wouldn't sign it. He put the pen on her chest and she just kept wouldn't signing it. And then... He explained to her, he started telling a story. He said, he said, um, he, he started talking about two other patients that he had the other day about some, some guy getting out of the penitentiary and, and his story that was dramatic that he slashed his wrist open and he showed us, he like showed us with his hands where the guy's scars and stitches were and then told us another horrible story about another woman whose child just died and and said these are the people that these are the people that I took into the facility today and these are the people you'll be with and then she signed the paper When we spoke, Jeannie mentioned that she had talked to the mental health assessor during her own investigation, and I think that this might be the same person Jemai is speaking of here. Jeannie claims that this man started crying because of the situation and about Asha's later disappearance. So what could have gone wrong that day at the hospital? How could those trained to aid people in Asha's unstable condition have prevented her from actually getting the help she needed? 
One reason Asha might not have gotten the help she needed that day was because of hospital cutbacks. Jemai pointed me to an NPR article about this hospital, titled Mendocino Coast Fights to Keep Its Lone Hospital Afloat, which came out on November 23, 2015, just three months after Asha goes missing. The article describes the troubled financial state of the hospital and its effect on the local community. This hospital is what's known as a critical access hospital, which are rural hospitals that were given this special designation by Congress in 1997 in order to secure their funding because they were rapidly failing, closing and leaving people in small towns without access to healthcare. The article explains how, after the 2008 recession, the government dropped funding significantly to these hospitals, a move that hospital CEO Bob Edwards described as, quote, a starvation model. This starvation model trickled down to crucial everyday operations for the hospital, and the article notes that this meant, quote, choosing between a cardiologist or an ophthalmologist, a cafeteria or a new x-ray machine. Asha went into a failing system that day, needing care. I don't think it is a stretch to suppose that Asha's disappearance could have been wholly prevented had proper care at the hospital been given that day. Asha was, according to Jemai, scared off from seeking critical medical health services, which could have prevented her disappearance entirely. Even if I can't directly prove that Asha was pushed out of the door in order to cut corners in this overburdened hospital, there is evidence from both Jemai and Jeannie's account that this was the case. It was like I couldn't believe it. And, and like, yeah, she was experiencing bipolar and psychosis is what the doctor's diagnosis was. And they released us and they said, okay, you have an appointment tomorrow. And um, so I said, okay, we went home. Uh, on the way home, she's just saying more, Eddie, mm-hmm. Eddie, I killed Joy, Eddie, Eddie killed Joy, I killed Joy. And she's like getting afraid. She's like, doesn't want to go home, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you want to go to San Francisco? We can, we can just go to the city right now where my mother lives. And she said, yeah. I said, okay, well, we have to get the dogs and we have to get your friend Sally. And it would have been a appropriate time for us to drop Sally off too Mm -hmm. and let and let her continue on her journey this is already like nine o'clock at night did they give you any medication or anything for her no they didn't give her they didn't give her Ativan they didn't give us anything I mean they were horrible it was yeah absolutely horrible treatment at the hospital and it's like and they didn't do anything they didn't do anything they tested her for drugs and I don't know what else and it was like and let her go After leaving the hospital, Jemai and Asha have no choice but to return home. Asha's strange behavior continues into the night. This is September 20th, 2015, the night before she goes missing. We turn on to Albion Lane and she tries to open the door to jump out. And and she doesn't. And then she does it again as we get closer to the house. And she, she actually did jump out of the car and I had to get her back in the car. And she just was like, seem like afraid to go home and it was really weird um when we got there like we we i tried we tried to give her some said you want some Tylenol PM because she hadn't slept in days Mm -hmm. and she said yes she shakes her head yes and when I'm getting a Tylenol PM she like grabs at the bottle as if she wants to take the 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 eat the whole bottle and then so I set it down and then I'm like starting to cook food and she goes in the drawer I'm getting some out of the drawer and she goes and grabs the knife very suggestively and I say and I'm like come on Asha and she lets go does she sleep that night at all no she didn't she didn't sleep at all Sally woke up and came down and we sat there and we talked for a very long time mm-hmm. and for hours and it felt like and uh it she just it was bad she didn't sleep at all and she kept saying my and i didn't haven't gotten over my father's death mm-hmm. and uh and um when the morning came i remember i like called my mom and 
and she, my mom's a nurse. She says, did they give her medication? So you have to go back and get medication. And she goes, well, you need to get her to the hospital. And, and then next thing I know, Asha's gone. And I go, we look around for her and I see her phone sitting on the stairs and I go outside and I see her jacket in the middle of the road, just at our gate when we leave our property. And so Sally and I start looking every, I get Sally and we start going down the road. We walk up and down the road. We look all over the property. We get into the car. We drive up and down the road several times. And finally, after about 10, 15 minutes of that, we see her walking down the road. We go pick her up. She gets in the car. Asha also interacts with a neighbor, a man named Eddie, during this time. Jemai mentioned him earlier. He later described her behavior to Jemai, and it was clear to Eddie that Asha was in serious trouble. When she was gone the first time in the morning when we were looking for her, she had went over to my neighbor Eddie's house, and I didn't find this out till two days later. And he was flipping out. He called me and said, don't, do not let her out of your sight. Don't let her out of your sight. This behavior wore on both Jemai and Sally, who felt they were left with very few options of what to do next. And then she runs off and hides again. And uh, we can't, we're looking around everywhere, and we find her hiding behind a tree watching us. It was really, really hectic. We were trying to get her to just, I don't know what. We were just, and uh, I was trying to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she starts to walk off again. And she goes, I say, Asha, what is, what's, what is your purpose for, what's your goal for walking off? And she says, I want to kill myself. And, uh, and at that point, Sally from across the yard says, let's go for a drive. Let's just go for a drive down the coast. And it was like I, that split second where I was like, we have the appointment. And then I just was like, let's just go for the drive. Because right. I know Asha falls asleep in the car. She had her friend here. And I was just like, okay, let's go for the drive. It was frantic. I'm, I feel like I made the wrong decision and not going to the, to the hospital. But... Well, it didn't really go very well when you did it the day before, so. No, yeah, it (sighs) went horrible. They didn't, and that was a, that was a big key factor in it too, is because they, they didn't, nothing happened. So Jemai, Sally, and Asha get in the car and head south, hoping that the drive will calm Asha. Jemai describes this drive down the coast, the details of Asha's disappearance, and the aftermath right after this short break. For the past few weeks, I've been receiving my weekly Blue Apron subscription and cooking meals that make me feel like I actually know what I'm doing in the kitchen. Each week, I receive a refrigerated box at my front door with the exact amount of ingredients required for each recipe. Not only does this precision make my life easier, but it reduces the amount of waste produced by buying more food than you actually need. When I cook, I feel good knowing that Blue Apron supports a sustainable food system setting the highest standards for their ingredients. They partner with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers from across the United States. In addition to its high-quality ingredients, Blue Apron's user-friendly website and app make it easy and convenient to see future orders, reschedule your deliveries if needed, and access cooking tips and suggestions tailored precisely for what you ordered. Instead of going out to eat or shopping for food at high-end grocery stores, you can now spend under $10 per person for a healthy, delicious meal that you cooked fresh at home. If you want to try Blue Apron and get your first three meals for free, go to blueapron.com slash thin air and you'll get an entire week's worth of food for free. Not to mention that Blue Apron always has free shipping, so there's no hidden charges. Thanks again to Blue Apron for supporting this podcast. To check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, the website again is blueapron.com slash thin air. Now, back to the story.
so we went for the drive and we drove further than I've ever drove driven down the coast. I'd never been to Point Arena before. And so we had just gotten past one of the little towns and we said, okay, well, let's stop and get some coffee and food because mm-hmm. Asha loves coffee. And so we're like, well, let's do this little morning routine for her. And we saw a nice little cafe. We turned in and saw that there's a lighthouse. So we went to the lighthouse, got out and admired the, the ocean. And Asha was acting weird. She like ran towards the cliff and we both grabbed her. And we were like, I was like holding her hand the whole time. We got back in the car and went for breakfast. And we went in there and the whole time she's, she's not saying anything. And she's not touching her food. And some gentleman came up and talked to us and was like trying to talk to her. And she just started laughing at him. And she had the most disturbed look on her face, her eyes, mm-hmm. red ring around her eyes. And she was like, it's like laughing and crying at the same time. It was really, really disturbing. And We spoke about this place in our last episode, which is called the Lighthouse Point Resort, a place for visitors of the nearby lighthouse to stay, get something to eat at the Rollerville Cafe, and get souvenirs at the gift shop. It is somewhat remote, off a lonely stretch on the shoreline highway. There are vast fields and pastures, and it is a short walk directly to the cliffs overlooking the ocean. So we continued on eating. We finished our meal, Sally gave the hostess a hug because they had a good rapport going on mm-hmm. and asked her, where's the bathroom? And so Sally went to the bathroom and I'm walking out side by side next to Asha. And Asha says, I'm going to go to the bathroom with Sally. She starts going to the bathroom. By the time the door closed behind Sally, Asha opened it. That's how close behind she was behind her. This was an important moment for me to understand, and it was sort of clarified by Jemai. Sally goes to the bathroom, which was located just outside and behind the restaurant. Jemai and Asha stand up to leave, and Asha tells Jemai that she is going to the bathroom too. Sally goes to the bathroom, unaware Asha is right behind her. It seems that while Sally went to the restroom, Asha never made it to the bathroom, and she just walks out the door and she's gone in an instant. Meanwhile, Jemai thinks that Asha has simply followed Sally into the bathroom. So when Sally went to the bathroom, I walked to the car and I was sitting there in the car and I, I just remembered what he said. Don't let her out of your sight. And I said, what are you doing and to myself? And I got out of the car and started to walk to, to the bathroom, which was on the b- other side of the building, which I was. And um. And Sally had come walking around and I said, Asha's not with you. And she said, no, she's not with you. And we like put our hands up and like we started searching. And Sally was like, you look over here, you look over here, which for me was like the area that I was at. I didn't see Asha. I wanted to look on the other side of the building. We looked everywhere. We went up and down the road. We got mm-hmm. in the car and drove around. And, and the last place we looked is the place I think Asha went directly across the street from the cafe, the big cow field. And there's a little opening for like, it's the beginning of a trail that goes down to the beach. And in my opinion, I think, I think that's where Asha went. I thought she, I thought she hopped in the car because of her behavior mm-hmm. that she was at the hospital yesterday. She just went and jumped in car, tried to jump in the first two cars she saw. And so I thought, you know, she hopped in the car. She got picked up on the side of the road just like that. But then later on, after, you know, hearing us, I, you know, just I gathered that she probably walked down the cow field and kept going straight. And mm-hmm. we, that was the last place we looked. We walked, like, across the cow field, but that's where we stopped. Sally, Sally didn't want to keep going. She was tired. She's not a very athletic person, and she was like, I want to go. She's like, there's no way Asha could have made it this far. And Sally wanted to go to sleep, so we decided to go back. She thought Asha was just, like, playing and having at it. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't really, really realize there was a mental health crisis happening. She didn't, she still didn't. One possibility in this case that I struggled to bring up with both Jemai and Jeannie is the possibility that Asha, in the midst of her mental health crisis, 
did find her way to the ocean that day and made the heartbreaking decision to jump. Neither Jeannie or Jemai mentioned this possibility directly. Both sort of talked around it, which I understand. This is the worst case scenario. I couldn't find any information on the height of any nearby cliffs or how plausible it is for someone to jump into the ocean and never be found. But there are clues that suggest this. Her jacket is later found near a cliff, and Jemai does speak about how she had some suicidal tendencies. She was in the midst of a crisis, and it seems like she was looking for a way out. Of course, no evidence that this truly occurred exists, and I couldn't bring myself to suggest it or even discuss it with Jeannie or Jemai. How could I? I want Asha to be alive and somewhere safe, too. I couldn't help but wonder if this was Jemai and Sally's theory early on, right after she takes off from the restaurant, but Jemai didn't specify that this was the case. According to Jemai, he and Sally did search the area, but eventually, Sally wanted to return to the house in Albion, 45 minutes north. So they do this, they return home without Asha. Jemai says that he drops Sally off, grabs their two dogs, and on the way back to Point Arena, he calls the police to report Asha missing. So we get in the car, we drive back home. It was on the drive back, so when I got the dogs and started driving back to look for Asha again, I called the police on my way out to look for her again. I see, I see. Did they file a missing persons report right then? Did you have to go in and talk to anybody? I don't know what they did. I know that there was a sheriff out there looking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was later in the day, it was like, you know, way after it happened, but there was a sheriff out there looking and I went back and looked for Asha and I went and when I looked, we looked up and down the bluff and we couldn't find her. I went to the, showed her picture to a few people at the cafe. Um, and when I was there, I saw the sheriff, he, he was leaving the porter potty and I said hello to him. I didn't speak with him, but I said hello. And when I looked back, I saw him looking over the cliffs, you know, like I was doing. We were looking over the cliffs to see if mm -hmm. she jumped over or something. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they did as right. far as their investigation. They, they, they interviewed me a number of times. They asked me what happened. They called me in the num following days, interviewed me. Sally went to the station. They interviewed her. And I went home, and that was the beginning of the first night of being without Asha. As you know, if you listened to the last episode, one of the big questions for me was Asha's dog and how the dog could have gone missing the same day that she does. The night, the first night Asha was gone, both of the dogs got out and I think the German Shepherd went to go look for her and the German Shepherd never came back. The German Shepherd, I went and talked to my neighbor, one of my neighbors, and he's an old man and he lives on the corner and he's got cameras and I asked if he saw Asha. He didn't see Asha, but he saw my dog. And he knew my dog because my dog was in his neighbor, his neighbor's backyard. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, the kid next door has your dog. He, so he ended up getting the dog back. And so the neighbor said that he saw my dog test on the camera and that he, he was positive, 100% positive that my dog was in the backyard of the neighbor. I told the police and they said, oh, your dog didn't come back to you yet? I told the sheriffs and they, they're not interested in helping me at all. Oh, that's so sad. So on the same day that Asha goes missing, yeah. you lose your dog yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, I, got, I, I got in a really bad car accident and my other died, dog died weeks later. Oh my God! So, I mean, it's just—it's so just horrible. been tragedy for me. It's right. been a, this is last past ever since September twenty first, two thousand fifteen. My life has been a tragedy. Again, I'm carrying on, you know. But uh, I know this interview is not about me, but that's—that's—that's uh, that's, that's yeah. what happened. Many stories about Asha claim that she came back for her dog that day, a fact which Jemai claims is not only inaccurate, but impossible. The dogs would have been with him at the time, and even if she did attempt to come back to the house, someone would have seen her. She would have came driving down our road or even pulled up to the beginning of our road, 
it would have been noticed. My neighbor has cameras right. on the road. Um, How and, would she, right? Uh, I, the dogs would have barked. Somebody comes walking on the property, they're going to be well aware of it and they're going to bark. Right. Even if it is Asha, they, you know, when I come walking in from the neighbors or something at nighttime, they mm-hmm. don't, they don't, they can't smell that it's me, right. you know, until I get closer, mm-hmm. you know, but they're, they're barking nonetheless, but it just, that's, it just, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's just, it's, un, it's, it's unfortunate and it, it's, it's, the whole thing is just horrible. In the days that followed, friends and family arrived to help with the search, including Jeannie, who arrived from Australia. Her mother was in Australia, but she wasn't just in Australia. She was in the middle of the country. And so it took her a while just to get to somewhere where there's an airport. But it, did, it took like two days, roughly. I right. think two days, maybe two and a half. The sister came up and I think the third day. What is your relationship the with? them like my my relationship it, it um it, it was never really that great to tell you the truth you know it, um for why, why is some that, reasons that do you think um i have my opinions i mean i have my opinions um do you guys talk now do you have any relationship really i don't talk now she the sister actually called me the other day um mm-hmm asked me a few questions and I told her I still have Asha's things and if she wanted to come get them. I don't know. It's the, the, the relationship between us was always tenuous, you mm-hmm. know, be, between the family and I, they, I don't know. They never really liked me, but when I was able to finally talk to the mother and, and sister about what Asha had told me and what the neighbor had told me about her childhood trauma, mm-hmm. they didn't believe me. They didn't believe me. They thought I was lying, and I don't know what they think to this day. You know, that's heavy news, so I, I'm not, right. I don't have any judge, judgment or any criticism for them about it, but it seemed like they didn't believe me, and the police, I don't think the police were taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. The news media outlets in the area were jumping on this story, and nothing in nothing in it was true nothing about any of the articles were true mm-hmm. they were focused on me they the articles were focused on me they weren't focused on the fact that Asha was having a mental health issue Jemai also had a hard time with local media after Asha's disappearance Jemai is treated suspiciously at best and outright slandered at worst you talked a little bit about this um, about the media and the way that they've treated you, but how has life in that way been for you? Do, do people treat you differently, or do they? Do you feel like they're suspicious of you in some way? You know, it's hard to say what people think. When this first happened, you know, I saw people making posts on Facebook, and a lot of the comments were kind of lynch mobbing about me and. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it comes with the territory of somebody mm-hmm. going missing very unnaturally. I don't know. And as far as the media goes, that it, it, it crushed me. It crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. It was, I don't even know if salt on the wound yeah, is, I mean, is, is a way to put it. it. I mean, when some, all you can do is look and search and do right. whatever you can as a, as a capable human to try and help find the, your loved one who's gone missing mm-hmm. and to be put out on that, you know, put out in the public like that just really, really took a blow to me being able yeah. to look and be, do actively do something for my own sanity too, to try to mm-hmm. find her. Right. And it just, it, it it crushed me. It cru- it absolutely crushed me. It made me furious because the articles weren't about Asha really. Right. The you know the first now they are now they're starting to be about her. But the first number of uh, all, all the articles that were first coming out when she first went missing, they were about me. And it, and I was furious. I was furious because it just it missed. The community, it led the community to believe that she was fleeing 
a, a bad relationship. So it's like, right on, get out of there, girl. You know, but that's not what happened. There was a severe mental sh breakdown mm -hmm. of a person. And although it's not common, it happens. And that's what had happened. And so you have somebody out there who is men not mentally stable, in my opinion. It, there's a difference if you're there's somebody who's fleeing a bad situation and somebody who who kind of lost their stability in life and has kind of disappeared. I haven't I haven't read anything too negative, but do they say things kind of commenting on your relationship or yeah, what your relationship was like? Yeah, there was a few that were saying saying that that I was harmful towards her, which was completely untrue. They're borderline ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are not you know they're they are ridiculous. They're very ridiculous. I mean, because there's ones that comment on my race on my education level, you know, on on my, my family history. Another question I kind of would have would be about what the investigation is like now. Do the police, are they still, do they actively contact you? Do they keep you updated or? The, the actual police have not contacted me. Do you feel like they're doing they, a good job or that they care or? It seems like the detective working on the case cared. Um, yeah. It seemed like he cared. I don't know that there's much that they can do. What really made me mad about the police uh, and the media, they, they wrote in the media that, that Asha returned home to get the dog mm -hmm. and to get her clothes, which is not true. Yeah. I mean, the dog went, mis the dog went missing, but for, I mean, and what does that tell the, what does that tell the community? Right. That she's gone. She's just somebody who picked up and left, which is like, that's what, you know, what's wrong, what's the harm in that? Right. But, and that, that made me very upset. And that kind of, that kind of sets the tone, I think, for the police department. It's, they, they had written her down as a walk away. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it made me furious, made me furious. I found out through the Coast Guard because we alerted the Coast Guard didn't even know. The Coast Guard didn't know what was going on. We alerted the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard got contact with the Sheriff's Department. The Sheriff's Department told them she was a walkaway, and that that's why they didn't alert them. Uh, she was just released from the from the emergency room the night before with right. the diagnosis of psychosis and bipolar. That, that that part in particular in this story is a nightmare because you guys are from Albion. You traveled to a different place and it's on the coast. So just like all of the different, it's like bureaucracy, basically, like all of the different organizations who aren't talking to each other or aren't investigating or sharing information. That must be very challenging. It's, it's horrible. I, I think there were some initiatives this last election to put some money towards mental health and Mendocino but it's just something that has went by the wayside and I'm a victim of it it's horrible right. it's something it's something that um it's something it's horrible they don't they didn't take it seriously and and this is the result these are the type mm -hmm. of results if you don't take mental health seriously that they they admitted her that day we needed a break i needed a break i right. had been dealing with her for weeks for weeks unstable person for weeks i'm not a mental health professional dealing with somebody who's unstable for for a long time i was tired and i would have loved for them to to give her some rest and medication is what she needed right, right. and and they didn't they they scared her away from getting treatment I just think how would my life have been if they would have would have treated the situation seriously? Completely different story. Right. You know, if, if they would have took this situation seriously, I mean, I thought about that for a long time. It seems like with her behavior, it would be really hard to predict where she could have gone but do you have any theories on what happened where she is or where she went i think i think that she's on a pot farm in mendocino in september early september around then people come from all over the world 
and come up to Mendocino looking for work. It's like uh, migration for for harvest migration, and people come looking for work, and people need trimmers. And I think it was perfect. I read something that she was seen with the surfer. I guess the oh the girl the girl said that there were surfboards on there. Mm. on the top of the car that she that that she was saw Asha with the person and I think she's I think she just is on a pot farm in Mendocino is what I think I mean I hope yeah I was frightened for the better part of a year and a half you know and I'm still frightened I don't know what happened to her but I mean that's that's where my speculation has led me What is Asha's personality like? What what did you love about her? She's a very reserved person. She's a very private person. She's a very dedicated person. Extremely dedicated. And she loves her family a lot. She really loves her mother and her sister. She's a very artistic and insightful person. Very wise for her years. And she's lovely, thoughtful. Mm. Asha Kramer went missing on September 21st, 2015 from Point Arena, California. She was in the midst of a mental health crisis. Asha is described as having mid-length golden brown curly hair, brown eyes, and has a red triangle tattoo on her right wrist. She weighs approximately 135 pounds and is 5'10". She has a soft Australian accent and a gap between her two front teeth. It is also noted that she may be difficult to approach. If you see her or have any other information, you can contact the Mendocino County Sheriff's Department or go to her Facebook page, which is called Help Find Asha Kramer. All of these links and more are on our website. We here at Thin Air Podcast would like to thank both Jeannie Kramer and Jemai Gale for speaking with us about Asha. The music you heard in today's episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue.